Well, good evening. Isn't it good to be together tonight to sing these songs that we've sung for, for decades, many of us, and some of us are newer to these songs, but it is good to be here tonight. How, how are you doing tonight? We're just a few days away, right? Uh, yesterday, uh, Maddox, my son, and I went uh, out shopping at the Stonebriar Mall, and it was a huge mistake. Um, <laughs> We didn't have that much to get, but we had enough that we needed that we had to go, and so I know it's a busy time. I know that sometimes it can be full of stress and anxiety, but I, uh, you're here, and that's the big thing. You're here to spend time, to give time with your family, to be with believers that are reciting this story all over again, that are reminding ourselves what this story is all about. Hallelujah to God for what He's done. It's great to see friends and family and to meet some of you who are are new to us, uh, are from our community. We're so glad you're here if you're a, a guest of ours tonight. Um, and tonight, I want to tell more about the Christmas story, but before we get into that, the church knows well enough that I don't just start into the story. There's something that gets us there. Since the Enlightenment, we've really uh, come to see the world as disenchanted. You know what I'm describing? I mean, there was this sense of magic in the Middle Ages. Yes, it was a dark Middle Ages, but there was this sense that the gods were up to something. There was something beyond the heavens. There was something more in this world than just the world as we know it today. And there's a lot of great things that comes with the scientific revolution, the scientific method, the enlightenment. There's a lot of good that comes with that. But part of what's been lost is this belief that there's actually a God out there that's up to something. Part of what we've lost is this sense that something magical could happen, that there's something out there. In fact, the only two places these days where I feel like the world's enchanted anymore is in the season of Christmas and when you walk in the gates of Disney World, right? That's about the only two places anymore. And so tonight, I guess that's what I'd like to invite us back to, is to invite us to believe a story that just seems impossible once the scientific method came along. It's like, how could we possibly believe such a foolish story as that? But this is the story that we as Christians believe has changed the world. We believe that it actually happened as it was told. We believe that God snuck into the world in flesh and blood of a baby born to these peasant parents in the middle of the Roman Empire, just kind of stowed away in Palestine, that we believe that God was up to something in that baby, don't we? And so tonight... I want to invite you to move past the anxiety and stress you might have brought in of what's still to be done. I want to invite you to be cynical about your cynicism again tonight. I want to invite you to believe this story because it is the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray as we begin our our time in the Word tonight. God, I, I thank you for this story. It's a magical story in some ways. It's hard to understand or believe or to give proofs of, but... God, it's changed our lives. This child, Jesus, grew up into a man, fully man, fully God. We don't know how to figure all that out, but we trust that you're up to something in this world. So tonight, God, in the midst of our busyness, in the midst of our questions, in the midst of our doubt at times, God, we come before you and we ask that you'd make this story alive again for us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, a couple of years ago, I was with my son Maddox that I was telling you about on the golf course, and we went out on the first hole, and he was going to play a few holes with me. He you know, was a good caddy and took care of the pin when we were out there. I taught him the etiquette of the game and all this. And 
After we got finished with the first uh, you know, hole, he said, Dad, how many of these are we playing? And I said, well, there's 18 of them. He says, oh, there's 18 levels in golf. <laughs> and it makes sense, right? I mean, Maddox plays on his iPad, and every game he plays, there's levels, and it gets more difficult, and it gets more difficult along the way. How can you have anything that wouldn't get more difficult? And so he's trying to imagine, what would 18, what would level 18 look like? And through the round, we got to know a little bit more about the game. He got more acquainted with it. But isn't that somewhat of a parable for our world? It seems like everywhere we are and everything we're doing, we're trying to achieve something to get to the next level. Thinking that life's this race to somehow accumulate or to to get past this or to somehow get to this place where we feel like we're safe or we've earned enough. We live in a culture of earning. We live in a culture where our worth is determined sometimes by our net worth more than anything else. And we prepare our kids for this world, don't we? I mean, there's rewards and consequences, and we try to teach them that. We do that with our kids. If you're going to eat the peas, there might be some dessert that will go along with it, but not without those peas. Our school system kind of teaches them this way. There's punishments that go along with it, and a check mark is a very bad thing. That doesn't work in middle school and high school quite as well. But it works for my son right now in kindergarten. And when he comes home and he's been able to get a prize for his behavior, that's a, that's, a, that's a neat thing that we get to celebrate. This is a system that prepares our kids for life to deal with consequences, and that's a good system to teach our kids, because for the most part, we live in a cause and effect world. We can see how this uh, causes this, and we can see the effects of how our actions and how we live in the world affects others. And most religions are built on a similar system. Some call it karma. The idea that whatever you do is going to come back to you one way or another. And if you do good acts, then you're going to get good juju on your side, right? Whatever you want to call it. If you do bad acts, then what comes around is surely to come around back to you. In fact, Hinduism and Buddhism are among the most popular religions that see karma as the organizing principle of the universe. And just to share my story, and just to be confessional for a moment, for those of you that may not have committed to the Jesus story, Christianity that I grew up in looked a lot like that too. That if you pull this lever and you check these boxes and you do these things, then God's almost bound to do something. He, he has to do it, as if God is forced into a system, which is, legalism's a little like magic like that. Like you do these incantations and out pops this rabbit or out, you receive this response. And I got to tell you, I'm tired of living that way. Because when I look at the world around me, it's not the system of cause and effect all the time. And I can build up all these points in this point system. I can get to the 10th level, but there's still this nagging sense that have I done enough? Like when I come to the end of my life, I've talked to enough people on their deathbed who are in that system that they're not even sure if they've done enough. And I'm going, if you're not in, I don't have a chance. Like good people that this system just kind of creates this anxiety and I just don't know if I've done enough. Anybody feel like they're kind of on the negative scale in that point system? Like for every good act you do, it's two steps backward. For every trying to accumulate and do enough and feel good about yourself, you just can't get it done, right? And if I'm going to live a life filled with hope, it's not going to come from that system. Which brings me to a story of Christmas that I want to share with you tonight. It's an enchanted story. I want to warn you. So if you think the world's just science and what we can see, maybe this will be hard to believe. But I I trust you'll go with me in this story once again. This is 
If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open on your phones, or if you have your Bible, we'll have words on the screen as well. But this comes from the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. I want to read this story. This is the story about how Mary, this teenager, discovers that she's pregnant and who she's pregnant with. It says this in, in Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One uh, to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. I got to tell you, there's a lot in Luke that you can read in that story about Mary that goes on. I like Mary, which I know isn't something I'm supposed to say as a Protestant, right? But I do. I I like Mary. I like her courage. I like that she can believe things that I tend to have trouble believing. Because if you've ever had trouble believing the story, I understand it. I mean, how does this happen, right? The rumors are swirling around this town she's in about how she must have gotten pregnant and how Joseph doesn't seem to be the father. I'm amazed how Mary takes this news. Because if you've ever received some bad news before that interrupted your life, you know it's hard to receive it all that well. She's pregnant. I mean, it's the kind of news that could destroy your life, if not in the right circumstance. But after a couple of questions, Mary's response is, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And I'm amazed by that kind of faith, aren't you? This kind of disruption to what you would want for your life, that somehow God's involved in this and God's going to do something good with it. It's hard for me to believe, even when I trust God's at work. But then I begin to wonder. You know, I grew up with this whole 18 levels of golf thing. I, I grew up with this whole point system. What makes Mary so highly favored? And part of me begins to think, well, maybe she was just more holy than the rest. Maybe she was a saint from birth, never made any mistakes. And... But I have to wonder, is that really the story here? We don't know much about Mary growing up, but I, I just wonder if maybe she was just like a lot of the other girls in town. There's something that God sees favor in, and, and decides to bring the Savior of the world in through her. In our world, to be described as highly favored, we would assume some kind of sainthood or building up enough points Did she win some kind of holiness contest I don't know about, right? And I doubt it because many in our world, we have trouble believing this story. There's probably many of us in the room who have trouble believing this story. Story's hard to believe after the enlightenment where there's certain causes that create certain kinds of effects. So how do we think about a story like this? 
But then I come against another question that may meet your world a little bit more today. And my question is this. If you were Mary, what would be the hardest thing to believe about the story I've just read? Now, for those of us in the 21st century, it's that whole virgin birth thing, right? How does that work out? But if I were to come up to each one of you and to hear your story and have a conversation, I'm wondering if the harder thing might be to believe that you're highly favored by God. It's not the science that's the problem. It's the sense that, boy, we grow up with a sense that God's not happy with us. And, boy, if you knew my story, you'd know I wouldn't be welcome in a church like yours. Or On and on it goes, these senses that, well, the religious have it together, and I'll tell you, we don't, right? I mean, who can raise their hand and say, I'm highly favored by God because of my behavior? No liars in the room. That's a good start tonight. I think, frankly, that the harder thing to believe in this story is not the virgin birth. It's that this young girl would actually believe, I am highly favored by God. May it be to me, as you said, God, I trust you in this. Because if I'm honest, I rarely feel worthy of anything for God to bestow on me. I struggle to believe that. I fall short all the time. But the good news of Christmas is that God's favor is not shown to those who have perfect attendance at church. It's not those who eat their vegetables. Maddox, it's good to eat your vegetables tonight still, but it's not that. It's not building up enough points in that old point system that many of us grew up with. No, the good news of Christmas is that God looks at Mary with favor because it's God's nature to look at young peasant girls with favor. And it's God's desire, it's His nature to look on prostitutes with His favor. It's God's desire to look on postal workers and to look on teachers and to look on the young and the old and the poor and the rich, to look on every one of us and say, you're highly favored. And that's the hardest thing to believe sometimes, isn't it? You know, I, I went to seminary and when I, we studied the Christmas story, so much of the Christmas story was about getting the facts right about the incarnation. Are you familiar with this term, the incarnation? Right, God coming in flesh. In fact, several of the church councils early in church history were all trying to figure out what does this mean that God comes in the form of a human being? In fact, it was very easy to get named a heretic in that time. It still is today if you try to explain the incarnation. Because so many ways you try to explain it, it's like, well, that's not right because of this. And I, I, I spent so much time trying to discover this. Try to explain the Trinity and write that into a grad school paper, right? But what I've discovered over time is that The most important thing about the incarnation is not the doctrine that it represents. That's important. The most important thing about the incarnation is that God loves each and every one of us. This isn't about doctrine. This is a story of God's passionate longing for His people. Over and over again in the Old Testament, God's trying to establish relationship. He sends the prophets over and over again to say, one day things are going to be different. I'm going to put a heart within you that's different than the heart you have. I'm going to send a spirit that's going to be my Holy Spirit to live within you. Things are going to be different one day. And the story of Christmas is the fulfillment of all those promises. It's the proof that each one of us are highly favored by God. It's the proof that you're worthy on your own account. You don't have to earn enough points to get to that status level. God sent Jesus into the world to die, and the reason he did that is because every single one of us, every single one of us, I'm not looking past you, every single one of you are highly favored by God.
And the fact that Jesus comes to the world is the very proof of that. How could you even question that idea anymore? Because every one of you were worth Him coming and sending His Son to die on a cross to be resurrected on your behalf. You were of infinite worth. You were valuable to God. You were worth so much. See, the Christmas story is hard to believe, but I don't think it's the virgin birth anymore. It's my own story and struggling to believe that that's the truth. I heard the story recently of a preacher in the Metroplex. His name is Matt Chandler. He tells this story. He was a freshman in college, and he was in his chapel uh, setting there in Abilene. Actually, it's where he went to school where I was, not the same school. But he was in this chapel setting, and this woman who was a 26-year-old who was coming back to school, she was a single mom, sat next to her, and they developed this relationship over the first semester that he was in school. Her name was Kim, and she was trying to come back and get her degree so she could care for her family. And Kim had never been to church. She didn't know much about Jesus. But she began to discover more about Jesus as the story goes on. And Matt began to introduce her to Jesus. And, and it wasn't going all that well. She was in an affair with a, a married man at the time, an extramarital affair. It wasn't going all that well. But he kept trying to lay out the story of Jesus. Well, one night he had a friend who was playing a concert. And they were going to have a devotional along with it. The kind of thing where a thousand students or so gather in a room. And they sing songs of praise and so forth. And the time for the sermon comes, and he didn't know who was going to get it for the sermon. He was more there for the worship, but he's sitting next to Kim, and all of a sudden, the preacher gets up and starts to talk about the evils of sex. He's thinking, oh, this is not going to go well. And so the minister started talking about this rose that he had in his hand, this beautiful red rose. And he smelled the rose, and he talked about how beautiful it was, and he held it up to his hands and, and showed the beauty of the rose, and he, he passed it off to one of the students and said, I want every one of you, smell this rose, see the beauty, take in the petals, see all that God has designed in this rose. It's a beautiful thing, and as the rose begins to make its way through all these college students, it begins to go on and on about the evils. It was one of the most horrific handlings of what sex is that he's ever listened to. It was really fear-mongering at its best, Right? Well, here's the dangers, and here's what could result. Here's the cause and effect world we live in. And Matt's sitting there with Kim beside him, and he's thinking, what are you doing? It's not going to meet this woman where she's at. This isn't good news for her. And as the preacher wraps it up, he actually asks for the rose back, and this poor student kind of comes up on stage. It's just a wilted flower, right? <laughs> not much to see. These students had all handled it. And as he gets to the the big point, the crescendo of his message, he holds that rose up and he says, see, look at this rose. That's like some of you. Who would want a rose like this? And Matt sat there looking at Kim next to him and the gospel that he knew that was different than this one. And he said, with everything in me, I had this anger rising up. That anger you want to hit the guy in the face? He said, that's what I had. And what I wanted to say was, Jesus wants that rose. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is a story about people who aren't enough on our own, that aren't worthy, don't look anything like the kind of people God would choose. And he selects us and he says, you're highly favored. God's welcomed you in. This story is a story of good news, not just for those who are cleaned up and seem to have their life together. No, that rose is the whole point of the story. So maybe tonight you feel like, that rose. Maybe life's kind of beaten you up over this last year. But tonight what I want to invite you to see is that this is not a story about levels. Karma is not something we preach around here. 
the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. And we don't know why some of our lives this last year have been more difficult than others. But what I can tell you is there's a God who desires you deeply. And he wants to restore you and he wants to clean you up, not so that he can show how perfect you are, but so you can tell others, hey, I've been on a journey too and, and I can bring you along. I want to share more about my story and, and what the good news is. Just a moment, we're going to light our candles. And maybe this year's the year you need to light this candle as a way of just saying, God, I, I don't feel any light in my life. I don't feel any warmth. I don't sense your presence. Maybe this light might be the beginning of this season for feeling that once again. And in a moment, Marty is going to sing for us and Will's going to play for us. Oh, Holy Night is the song. And, and tonight, this is the song that I think fits so well with what I've been trying to share with you because there's a verse in this song. There's a verse in this song that I, I wanted to, to show you because I think it's powerful. I think it gets the message across maybe as well as anything that can. It's that first verse. Oh, holy night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Now pay attention to the rest of this. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Anyone feel like that's where we are? Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. That's the Christmas story, church. No matter where you are in the midst of all this sin and struggle and how we just don't feel like we're enough, the story of Christmas is that your soul can feel its worth, that you were highly favored by God. And so as we sing this song, as we get to experience the light coming on from around this crowd in just a moment, I'll, I'll, I'll light a few of these and just pass them down your row. And let this be a reminder in this season of the blessing of Christmas, of the good news of Jesus Christ, that you're wanted no matter how you came in this place. This church would love to tell you more of this story. Jesus sure would love to connect with you more. But we're glad you're here tonight. We're glad you've gotten to hear this story. I'll tell you, he's changed my life, Jesus has. I can't tell you uh, in the time we have tonight about that change. But I've told this church my journey. It's been an ugly journey. I've looked like that rose at times. But God restores broken things. Whatever baggage you come in with tonight, God wants to claim that baggage to forgive all those things and to to move on with him into a, a, a new relationship. Tonight our prayer is this, that your soul will feel its worth.